You look very unimpressed, Megan. Get excited. This is your one activity for the week. Get excited. I have activities. Do you stuff? Like what? This is not a time to be like showboating about how you have a social life because it just doesn't. It doesn't. I have. I don't know. I sort of. Yeah. I don't just sit around in my house all day waiting for our YouTube live streams. Eating chips on the couch. I don't eat chips. <laughs> you don't eat chips. I don't, okay, but I don't really, in my defense, like, I love, I really like snacks. I'm, I'm really into snacks. It's not like I'm, like, right. I'm too healthy to eat chips. I just I don't really like chips. That I'm, Okay, this is, like, the potato issue that we talked about earlier, so. That's probably okay. Yeah, okay, okay so we're live. We're here. We're talking about potatoes, guys. <laughs> Are you glad you tuned in? <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> How are you? How's isolation going? Are you eating chips? Are chips the best snack? Arguably, yes, they are superior to all. What snacks do you like then? I mean, like, what's better than chips? I'm more of a, like, a charcuterie kind of person. Like, I'd rather have, like, cheese and salami. Or I eat a lot of popcorn. Like, chips to me, I just, so, like, I don't, so they're not so good that I want to waste all of my carbs on them. You know, like, if I'm going to go carb, then I want it to be worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, but snack snob. Megan Murphy, snack snob. Well. 100%. I, I, yeah, maybe. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, I am, so like, how's your how's your isolation going now that you've? How long have you been back now? So you've been in New Zealand for okay. I don't feel like I'm in isolation, and it's only it's a, it's only been a really short while for me. So I'm not in like the real world. But uh, how are people that have actually been in isolation, like, how are you going? I'm doing good. I um. <laughs> have you written I, more articles? Yeah, yeah. I published an article in the in the Spectator. It was published today, um, basically telling everyone to pull up their bootstraps. Ooh, going full yeah. neoliberal. Ooh, I think it was a good argument. I mean, you should really follow my work, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, you know, have like, a life. <laughs> sure sure like it was I mean my argument was basically I mean I think I think we talked about this last week that it's okay meme so it's like everything you do is okay like if you lie in bed all day and eat cookies that's okay if you do and I was looking into it more because I wanted to write this article so it had sort of stemmed from backlash against some people online who who suggested that you should try to be productive during yeah. this time so yeah. i mean and this is for a specific group of people it's for people who you know haven't lost their income but either aren't working so they're still they're still getting paid um yeah. but you know they're not actually going to work or I guess even people who are maybe working from home but still are finding they have a lot of extra time on their hands that they don't know what to do with. So it's not, you know, it's not really talking about, like, you know, moms who are now at home with their kids all day and trying to keep them entertained and deal with yeah. that, which is yeah. probably very stressful. And you yeah. can't, you don't have time for yourself, so you can't really do anything. I'm not really talking about, like, 
working class people or people living in poverty who are now freaking out and struggling and figuring out how to make ends meet. But, you know, so some people suggested, you know, like, hey, like, do something with this, maybe see it as like an opportunity, like you could Mm -hmm. like learn a new new language. And there's this like massive backlash from people who said, stop telling us to be productive. Like, you know, (laughs) like, it's this is a this is a crisis this is a pandemic yes. like it, why I don't want to feel all this pressure to do something and for me I'm just like well then don't feel pressure like you can just ignore what people say on the internet you know like they're not Ooh. making you this guy just tweeted something you don't have to do what he says mm-hmm. but I also feel like it's like okay well if you feel guilty like if you're at home doing nothing all day and that's making you feel bad because you're not getting anything done or you're not getting exercise or you're worrying about getting fat or whatever. It's like, there are some solutions to that problem. Like you could go out for a walk or try to figure Mm -hmm. out an exercise routine or try to start a project or clean out your garage or whatever. Like, and my argument was basically like doing those things, like trying to sort of eat healthily. I'm not talking about losing weight even. I'm just talking about not eating junk food, like eating food that, includes vegetables that's good for you before you eat your popcorn um yeah yeah and yeah and trying to get some exercise because now lots of people can't do their normal thing like go to classes go to the gym go to the pool play sports with other people um Mm -hmm. you got to figure out something new and doing those things plus like maybe starting a project maybe learning how to do something maybe diving into like I don't know, reorganizing your closet or whatever it is like that'll actually make you feel good. Like we're all feeling weird and anxious and worried. And maybe some people are struggling with depression and fear Mm -hmm. and lying in bed all day or on the couch and eating shitty food is going to for sure guaranteed make you feel worse. Okay. You've reminded me a couple of things. I feel like one thing is if you're someone with, that tends to be uh, feel anxious or someone who um, tends toward uh, maybe like you've had past trauma so you can go into like dissociation or derealization or any of those kind of mindsets that are outside of stability. Um, I feel like this would be a time where there's almost no choice but to learn some aspects of mindfulness um, yes. If you haven't already, like really, really basic meditation or, or something like that. Um, but the other thing you're making me think of is the thing I really wanted to talk about, which was the shaming thing. And I know you already talked about this with Karen and Jean. Um, but it's come up for me again with people being having this, I guess everyone's very sensitive right now. Like everyone is more on edge than normal outside of normal routine and any tiny comment that's not even necessarily about someone, it will be met with like a don't shame people. Like shaming is the worst thing. You're shaming me by like having an opinion or thinking differently. It's shame. People are very defensive right now. Yeah. But it's really strange to me because I'm like, why do you feel ashamed by something that's just like a normal? And then I started thinking about it, like we're having normal adult conversations and people are interpreting that as shaming the kind of same way 
children do when they personalize things that aren't personal towards them but because of their young mindset they have no choice but to like take in everything in their environment and feel that it's personal and I feel like a lot of people do this now with the with safe spaces and don't shame anyone and you've got to walk on eggshells all the time like a a normal normal but a, a mature adult mindset doesn't necessarily go out into the world looking to be offended and feeling ashamed. Defensiveness is weird. Um, Mm. And I think, I mean, part of it is that right now, I think people, a lot of people are defensive because there's a lot of, like there's more judginess than normal going on Mm, online. And I certainly have participated in that um, Mm. with, with. Because we've got time, right? We've got time to do it. I'm a really judgmental person, so this is just like, (laughs) I think, you know, this is a good time for me. Um, Mm. But so people are, everyone's an expert right now. So everyone's like, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing this. It's your fault. Like, blah, 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 blah. People are getting really defensive. It's not China. It's racism. And like... And then what about like their their social isolation practices and stuff like that? So I think people are just and I think generally in general people take everything personally and get really defensive and lash out and pretend that it's not personal when it really is. Like they get triggered or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think I mean I think a lot of this just has to do with guilt. Like it's like if you like I said, like if you're if you're not being productive during this time and you're kind of living an unhealthy lifestyle and you're not really getting anything done and you're not trying to go out for walks or whatever, then you feel bad about it. So when somebody else is being productive, this was the other aspect of what I wrote about was that like people were complaining about all these people online sort of showing off about all the things that they were getting done under quarantine. And they were like, I don't want to see all these people like baking loaves of bread and building their projects and like and it was also connected to the dieting thing so people were were complaining about women primarily women of course um online saying like that they were afraid of gaining weight during during the mm-hmm. lockdowns um you know fear of the quarantine 15 as it was called And, you know, there's a ton of like hot take articles responding to this saying, you know, like, don't don't talk about being worried about putting on weight. Don't talk about the quarantine 15 (laughs) because it's body shaming and it's fat shaming. And I was just like, this is stupid. Like people are allowed to say what they want and worry about whatever they want. They're not telling you to do anything. And if that makes somebody else feel bad, I mean, that sucks. Like you should be conscientious about what you're putting Mm -hmm. online, but it's like, we're also allowed to be honest and have honest conversations and say like, Oh God, I don't want to gain 10 pounds over this thing. And somebody else can't accuse you of being a shamer because you made them feel ashamed or guilty or weird because of something they said somewhere else on the internet. They're not saying it to you. They're not telling you there's something wrong with your body. Like, if you feel bad, I don't know, like, you kind of have to deal with that on your own, (laughs) I'm afraid. (laughs) It's so weird to me that there obviously is a a sizable enough portion of the population who get up every day and get on the internet and look for things to be mad about. You know, like, you can't use pronouns that I don't like. You can't say, you can't make comments about weight. You can never make, you can never use this word because I personally don't like it. You can't talk about breasts because it might throw me into 
you know, uh, instability. Like how much do, this is the kind of thing where parents play a role in childhood development of creating a, a place that's like psychologically safe for their kids to grow up in. But now like adults are asking us to do that for them on the internet, the internet, which is like the place where all kinds of the most horrific violence and, you know, sexual exploitation and everything takes place. And they're like, oh, but don't use that word. I couldn't possibly survive. Like, what are you thinking? This is the real world. You're an adult. This is part of being an adult. You have to be able to live with this or like create your own boundaries and stay within them. But don't expect other people to do it for you. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of part of this like culture of of blaming everyone else for your problems. Mm. And I mean, we can see that happening in a variety of ways within this mm. COVID context. I mean, and, and just in general, also, it's like, I feel bad. It's somebody else's fault. And it does, it does connect to this mis- misgendering thing, of course, because it's mm. like somebody is triggered by, you know, being referred to by a pronoun that they don't want, they don't like or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they've been told that this is incredibly offensive and that this is like destroying their sense of self and that it's dangerous and that, that not that this is something that they should be able to cope with as an individual, but yeah. this is a problem with another person. So they're projecting all that onto somebody else. And, and yeah, this just happens in all sorts of ways. This whole shaming thing, you're right, is so much about that, including you know, when people talk about kink shaming um, mm. or, you know, slut shaming or yeah. um, not that like slut shaming isn't a real thing sort of, but like, you know, it's the kink shaming thing gets thrown around, for example, when people, you know, let's say feminists, for example, are critical of BDSM or, you know, the sexualization of violence um, or sort of question men's fetishes, like, and it suddenly it's like, oh, you're kink shaming. And it's like, well, I get that you like that. That's fine. I mean, nobody's stopping you from doing that unless you're doing something illegal. Like, but really what you do in your bedroom is your business, except that you're advertising it all over the internet and then complaining when somebody comments about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. You've made it a part of your public identity and now you're <laughs> mad that people are talking about it. You could just have your sex in your bedroom and then not scream at people when um, they, they talk about your public sex life and tell them to stay out of your bedroom. But I mean, you really invited them in. okay but what what I don't get is when they're saying you're shaming me it's not like uh it's not like in any of these instances uh you've written an article that's been like oh people who engage in this are all just fucking idiots and I hate them all it's like sometimes I call them perverts but (laughs) men hate (laughs) that is the best way to criticize a male is so mad it's the only thing that works and they need it frankly um, you're but, like you're an old perv they're like <gasps> just, just so, yeah because you know it's it. true you are a yeah. gross old perv yeah it's what <laughs> but um it's weird how like connecting the dots between like kinks is one of them you connect the dots between violence and the kind of sexual perversions around violence and you're not saying you're a disgusting human being you're saying there's a connection between these two things that like we should talk about that and they're like, oh, my God, I feel ashamed. How dare you? Like, all I did was connect the dots for you. Obviously, that's brought up some cognitive dissonance. 
Well, yeah, yeah, and the shame thing. I mean, we should all, like, look at defensiveness. Like, when we react defensively, we should always try to sort of stop before we react. I don't always at all. Like, I totally react defensively online. I mean, I I try not to. I do make a big effort, so I don't think I'm horrible in this regard. But, of course, there's times, like, somebody attacks me online or says something um, you know, about something I've written that I feel like doesn't have anything to do with what I've actually written or they misunderstood yes. me or misrepresented me, then I totally can act defensively. But in general, like we should try to sort of look at that and question that when we feel that way and be like, wait, why am I feeling defensive? Like, why does it matter what this person says or thinks? And, you know, if I was really comfortable or confident in this, then maybe Maybe it shouldn't matter. Maybe I shouldn't feel defensive and I should just Mm -hmm. feel calm and respond calmly and rationally or not. But I mean, I suspect with the kink thing, it's like, well, you probably already feel weird and guilty about it. So when somebody says (laughs) anything, you're so you're so sensitive about Mm -hmm. it that you can't you you respond emotionally immediately and blame the other person or whatever. People always try to justify whenever you're critical about like sexualization of women or women sexualizing themselves. I remember like a bunch of psychologists blew up at me because I wrote the article about how women do pole dancing as a way of replicating feelings of sexual subservience. How dare you? Um, Like I'm not sure. I'm saying like do it. I don't care. I'm just connecting the dots about like the history of pole dancing. Um, and you're, you're saying things that almost everybody knows. Like, the funny thing about the pole dancing conversation, because I've written about it, too. And, man, like, I don't know of anything that I've written on Feminist Current has gotten as many comments as the articles that I've written about pole dancing. It's yeah. fucking nuts. Maybe the burlesque stuff. Between the burlesque people and the pole dancing people, they are intense. Because... Yeah, but they get, get so I, they're like, it's a sport, it's a sport, it's a sport. Yeah. And it's like, fine, it's a sport. But it also symbolizes this thing. And when people think yeah. about pole dancing, they attach it to strip clubs. And what these women are doing, for the most part, who say it's a sport, it's a sport, it still looks quite sexualized. And it still sort of, of looks the same as what we're seeing in strip clubs like you're still wearing stripper heels so like i don't know like come on just be honest like admit like it's like why are you in like sexy underwear and like these insane high heels that couldn't possibly be comfortable and that you couldn't possibly walk in like you know yeah there's something about um sexuality that's really really triggering Um, And so I think like pole dancing and kink and porn, it like brings up, firstly, I think is, is the, the people who have this weird, like you're trying to return us to the Victorian era where we never have sex. Like nobody's doing that. Nobody wants that. Literally, that's the most ridiculous argument. But the other thing is maybe it's like sexuality has a really deep connection to who we are as a person. So they really feel that um, criticism on a really deep, like cellular level that there's something wrong with them just by someone connecting the dots culturally about what's going on there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
I, yeah, somebody just commented. I posted about strangulation and how terrible slash dangerous it is. My Facebook feminist group of friends lost their collective minds on me and claimed I was an infiltrator slash swerve slash kink shamer and ostracized me. Yeah. I mean, that one's an interesting one wow. because we know that like choking and strangulation has become more popular in sex, especially among yeah. like younger people. Um, yeah. And, you know, that just doesn't come out of nowhere. Like, I don't think that it's reasonable when we, we see like growth in a practice um, that it's, that it's just like this inherent desire suddenly, you know, cause I, that was never something that I experienced, you know, like when I was, you know, younger, you know, in my twenties or 19 or whatever, when I was like sleeping around more casually, nobody tried to choke me. Yeah, um, it sounds to me like that's quite it's normal. Unheard of. When, like girls yeah. are having casual sex, like in in hookup situations, yeah. not just with their boyfriends, although that's happening also. Okay. But in these casual hookup situations, and and dudes yeah. are trying to choke them. Yeah, and this is the thing I think, like uh, the liberal feminist world, or at least I don't know whatever they want to call themselves. They have this view that they're like liberating themselves and liberating all women and be sexual and be as sexual as you want and never be ashamed and post your tits on Facebook and do all the sexual things you can do. It's like you're not thinking about what impact that has on the younger people that are watching you. Like you can do whatever you want as a 30 year old. You've like gone through the developmental phases. You've gone through early dating experiences. Hopefully you've developed strong boundaries and you know what you want and what you don't want. But people who are 16 who are going through those early experiences are ingesting all of that information and deciding that, oh, that's, that's what I have to do to be an, uh, to be a mature female is to get choked and deep throat and do all this shit that I hate doing. I guess that's what I have to do. Cause that's what the feminists are telling me is part of becoming a like mature female. That's really yeah. fucked up. That's really selfish. Um, Definitely. I feel like we've gotten really off track, which from the conversation that we were supposed to be having, which was about checking in to see what we've been doing while in quarantine. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> I don't even remember how we started talking about this. <laughs> no. What is what has everyone been doing? How How's is everyone, everyone going? Let us know. Um, oh, tell us in the comments. I personally like cleaned off my whole balcony i have like a very small like balcony it's right here can you guys see it i'm like you can't even see where i'm pointing this is a window your setup looks nice though because you got the little fur rug it's cute well yeah this it's my costco sheepskin (laughs) fancy Um, and I, I bought some like bamboo fencing and I like mm-hmm. put it up to cover the ugly siding that's out there. It's all very ugly. My apartment is very ugly. But wow. You've been cheap, really productive. So. Really? And I like attached it and I do, I do not do outdoor things, labor things, building <laughs> things, putting wow. things together things. <laughs> trying to make my apartment look nice things i mostly do like computer things like like and not even like this computer Um, things and i yeah and i like attached it all with wire and like i got like a a planter and i'm gonna grow some snow peas i really am getting like a lot of 
stuff done. Like I feel, I get like a low level anxiety sometimes over the lack of human contact and like missing yeah. my friends and stuff like that. Yeah. But like the actual, the rest of it, I've actually like, I've had, I have these moments of feeling like elated, like just yeah, feeling yeah, like, yeah. because I'm so liberated from like, I, you know, like FOMO, I swear to God has, has caused me so much stress for so long. Yes. And I, I don't have it now for them. I get FOMO every once in a while. Cause I like think other people are like cheating on their isolation without me. And I'm like, are you guys hanging out? <laughs> <laughs> um, that reminds me of like, I occasionally go to do Vipassana retreats, which is where you go into complete silence for like, you meant to do 10 days. I haven't done 10 days. Um, and it's really cool. And this kind of is reminding me of that a little bit, but, but that's what I said before. Like you need to be prepared to develop some kind of meditation practice because you can't just go into it being like, Oh, I'm going to be bored. Like what game can I play? Or like what Netflix can I watch? You have to be prepared to go into like contemplative meditative mindsets. Um, and it's really, really useful if you're someone that, um, sometimes becomes like hyper anxious or you use being busy and being distracted as a way of coping with anxiety. It's a really good time to, um, to find a way to get comfortable with the discomfort of doing nothing. Okay. So you are advocating that we all do nothing then. So I guess we have a difference of opinion on this. I agree with you in terms of the, like, I think that people, I think people are uncomfortable being alone with themselves and alone with their thoughts and trying mm-hmm. to like find, you know, without this external yeah, pressure no. and external, yeah. Distraction and like, Got to go to work, got to go to meetings, got to pick up this, got to pick up my kid, got to do blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like, and people use that to avoid being alone and think, and I'm, I'm joking. I think meditation is a really good practice that I do not participate in. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to your point, like distraction, you know, you can build a whole life around being distracted. Like many people, their entire life will be built around, I had a bad experience like in childhood or I had some fucked up thing happen when I was a teenager or some terrible breakdown of a relationship. So then I got busy and now I'm more busy. And now, I'm, and that's how people end up becoming CEOs with billions of dollars because they just get on the fucking snowball of busyness and like doing more, earning more, being more. And to your point though about doing nothing, I would say I don't think that developing a meditation or a mindfulness practice is about doing nothing. It's actually about um, building comfort with the most uncomfortable aspects of your psyche and that's a very active thing although it looks like you're sitting and doing nothing like you sit in meditation doing nothing (laughs) but you're and if you look at brain scans of people who are doing meditation their brain becomes very active in areas that wouldn't otherwise be utilized so it's a very active thing that just doesn't involve movement. It doesn't involve productivity. And that's, I guess, a challenge for us as a culture. Like we're hyper productive. We think that if we're not like earning money or 
developing something or doing something, then we're not, we're worthless. We're not. You're arguing against the article that I just wrote, Laura. Stop contradicting me. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) You're off the show. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Only people who agree with me here. (laughs) Well, what would be your response to that? Like if you're not really, I mean, my argument was like, I just included examples from articles or an article that made the same argument that you're making here. But what I said, I was like, productivity doesn't necessarily have to do with earning. Like you're that this person who wrote this article was equating productivity with making money. And I was like, it doesn't have to be about making money. Um, It can be like, I just feel like, like creating something or learning how to do something or becoming good at something or just like creating daily practices that make you feel good. It's really good for your confidence. And I just say that, like, I I know that's true, but I also just say that from personal experience, you know, like it really, it makes you like yourself better and it makes you, you know, feeling like you're self-sufficient and feeling like you can take care of yourself and I don't mean you don't need other people like I of course know that I need other people um that's why you know like I have I keep connections to so many friends and people around the world and things like that well this is the thing with having nothing to fill the space like nothing to fill your time is that you're brought back to yourself and that's really confronting for some people like if you're not ready for that um and definitely building a routine and building rituals that are like healthy, like getting up in the morning and making something healthy to eat or going for a walk rather than like laying in bed, scrolling on your phone for four hours. It's necessary. It's, it's not an optional, like, Oh, it would be nice if I did that. And it's like, no, in order to be mentally healthy and physically healthy, but particularly for people who potentially have mental health concerns at some time, this is a necessity. It's not optional. It's not like, oh, maybe I'll get out of bed. No, you have to get out of bed. You have to walk. You have to eat healthy food. And I would argue you have to start working on mindfulness. And it really, this has brought us back to the necessities of like human life, of the most basic fundamental aspects of health, good food, movement you know being able to sit in stillness with your thoughts which some would say doing nothing but I would say actually doing internal um you know mindfulness work is actually doing something right and I mean and the other issue is that you know right now especially um having a a strong like a robust immune system is incredibly important because that's the thing that's going to help you fight COVID um, because unfortunately there are no cures right now. Um, And you do have to rely on your immune system. And we know, you know, some people have conditions that they can't help that, you know, like autoimmune conditions or whatever. Um, And But, you know, for most people, what you really need to do is to try to get some exercise and eat healthy food and not smoke and Uh not drink too much. Yeah, um, I've got drunk a few times this week. I I mean, I'm not getting drunk, but I I mean, I'm drinking less than I I, am. 
Well, who? What am I gonna sit at home? I mean, I guess I get drunk on these 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 YouTubes, but I just mean like it's like I I definitely drink wine at home, but mm. you know, like I it's funny because it sounds like everyone else is drinking more, and I think I'm actually drinking mm. less because I'm not going out as much, and like I can't party. Like I'm not gonna like party by myself in my house. True. But We're like, probably not binge drinking as much. No, yeah, exactly. I'm just yeah. like drinking the same amount that I would have before, but then minus the the added binge drinking once a week or whatever when I go out yeah. like on Friday. But like, so it's like for so for people to be recommending unhealthy behaviors as a solution, I think is incredibly irresponsible. But I, also, like, it's you bring up like depression, right, and like mental health stuff. And part of what people get defensive about and people reacted to me in this way around this article was they, you know, they got really mad at me for saying what I said because they're like, well, some people like have depression and that's like a clinical issue. It's like having a broken arm and there's nothing you can do, but you can't do anything. And I was like, yeah, but like it, you, you know, like I'm right that like I'm not saying it's going to fix everything and that is easy to do. I'm just saying that things that help with the anxiety and with depression include getting exercise regularly and getting out of bed and doing something and trying to be productive and trying to eat healthy food. It's going to make your mental illness worse yeah. If you're what? super unhealthy and you're not leaving your house and you're eating junk food and you're not getting any exercise, like that is what just does they mean? Like, and people act like it's like victim blaming, and it's like I'm not blaming you for being depressed, but there's definitely things that you could right. do to help yourself. Right. And don't just like, and it's not, you know, and it's these insta therapists who are contributing to this culture also who are saying, if you need to do this, it's a coping mechanism. It's like, is that, I mean, I guess it's a coping mechanism. Like, if you don't want to change anything, you just want to oh sit at home God. and like wallow and like, okay, and play video games and eat. Can I just say that the insta therapy thing? Like, I'm starting to see the downside of it. It's fantastic that people are developing, like, a broader vocabulary and a a better understanding of psychology. But on the flip side, does the average person really need to know human psychology do you really need to know attachment theory Megan I do I do because I'm I, because I, well I'm constantly diagnosing people with all this stuff so I need to know is what I'm that talking helpful? about is that helpful though it's like helpful is, for me to feel like I know everything about everything here's the thing I would say intellectualizing things is a way of, of avoiding your emotional experience and so being able to like put a label on it and say, well, w- within this framework, within Piaget's theory, it means this, but within attachment theory, it means this. And like, you don't need to do that. It's not your job. Not everyone needs to be a fucking psychologist. God forbid. I would hate it. if everyone, As a psychologist, I can say that you should not be a fucking psychologist. I feel like a lot of people do say that. And they're like, as a psychologist, it's like, nah, you have a BA. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> um, yeah. somebody said in the comments I just thought that this was interesting she said um, I feel like I've socialized more during isolation than I ever did before between mm. video chatting Twitter and live streaming um, mm. and I wonder I wonder if that's like 
true for a lot of people because all of a sudden we've had to be intentional about socializing. Like in the past, I mean, it may not be like this everywhere, but it's certainly true in Vancouver. And I think it's probably true in general is people have gotten so lazy about socializing and maintaining connections and they think it'll just happen naturally and they don't think Mm -hmm. these are relationships that I need to work on this is something that I need to make an effort I need to make plans with my friends I need to check in I need these connections are really important like I think people really really don't value friendship they don't value their community they don't value socializing um and they don't they don't work at those relationships and it actually it pisses me off and it always has because i really really do value my friendships and i value socializing so much that i maybe overvalue it (laughs) but like i you know like i i try and i make plans with people and i check in and you know what i mean and yeah um now all of a sudden people can't just be flaky and lazy about it and be like oh if somebody calls me then yeah maybe I'll go or whatever like I'll just wait and let this all happen to me now they have to actually reach out to people and they have to schedule a time to like go on zoom or house party or whatever and you know like you it's it's very hard yeah I know I I, I've been doing it but I don't I don't I don't love it it's not my favorite thing um Yeah, I mean, have you been doing it at all? Have you been doing those, like, house party things? No, I'm fucking useless. I'm the most useless individual on earth. Like, like, turning up to our things on time is a stretch for me, as you know. we've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I've texted a bunch of people and been like, I'll call you. Yeah, like, I'll I'll call you one day. Um, oh, I don't. I don't like. I mean, there's so few people that I talk to on the phone, so it's mm-hmm. not. I'm a great. I mean, I text with people all day long. Like I've got group yeah. texts going. I've got WhatsApp groups going. I've got like various individuals who I text all day like that. I, but I mean, I've always kind of done that. I may maybe do it a bit more now, but I don't. I don't even really know. I've always. But like the phone phone calling people mm. not not a super I've, I've talked one. to maybe a few people on the phone it takes yeah. a lot the of time of too and um I work every day so I, I can't get caught up in a three-hour phone call but the other thing is like so here's the thing um building friendship the best way to build a friendship is to have a repeated mutual activity And so the thing is, when we're like kids, we build friendships so easily through work and through, sorry, through school and through our early jobs because we're doing repeated shared activities. Then when we become adults, we're not really doing that anymore. We we tend to work kind of in more isolation, um, unless you have one of those jobs where it's very like team-based um which more like manual labor and stuff I feel like that that they bond a little bit more um but yeah as adults we have to actually actively go out of our way to do repeated shared activities to in order to build connections and like it is work it you have to put the time and effort in um and I think for some people it's kind of like oh it feels a bit unnatural um but like for me, sometimes it feels a bit unnatural, but then I'm like, okay, this is actually necessary for your mental health. It's not optional. It's not like if you feel like going, go, it's like, no, you will go and you'll feel better for going. So just fucking go. 
Yeah, I know. I think so too. And that's the thing is that I think, I think now, I mean, hopefully this will change people's attitudes and perspectives towards socializing because I think now people are realizing how important it is now that they don't have it um, because they really miss it. And they realize like what a big deal this, this was in their life to be able to see people and have human contact and be around other people because we can't. And, um, and it does, it has like, and I, I mean, and I know this and it's still surprising to me what an impact it's having on me and just mm. feeling sort of like, because it's not something that's rational, right? Like it's not, I can't, yeah. I can't explain why it is that I feel sort of a bit weird and anxious because I can't hug a person mm-hmm. or because, you know, like I can't be, I can't sit next to a person. Like mm-hmm. I can't be closer than two meters away from another person that I can't, mm-hmm. you know, go for a wine with my friend or whatever, but it, you know, it, it really is a big deal. And, and I think that humans, especially now really deny that. And especially mm-hmm. in this like online culture that's so centered mm-hmm. around social media, where we pretend like it's a replacement for seeing people face to face and hanging out in person with other human beings. And it's not a fucking replacement at all. No. It's the opposite. I think that's a really important thing as well. Like when you look into trauma and psychology, psychological science has a lot of limitations here because we only ever talk about things related to the mind and the behavioral outcomes of those uh, things that have shaped our minds. But a lot of this stuff happens on a cellular level, like, um, trauma for example is stored in cells that are outside of the mind as well so there's a lot of um, therapeutic techniques that involve the body like that involve movement so it's going beyond like talk therapy for example I always assumed like therapy like talking psychoanalysis is the most useful tool uh, for any issue if you have really deep-seated trauma it can actually be really uh, harmful to engage in talk therapy um, because there there be memories that are pre-verbal or that are stored in the body and trying to verbalize them is not necessarily going to help. It could just be triggering, destabilizing, send you into dissociation and you've no way of dealing with it. So like uh, there's a whole range of therapies that are body-based. So it takes us out of thinking about it. And like you said, these are things you can't explain why it feels good to be around people, why you feel like you need to hug people. I think it's because it's beyond the mind. It's like beyond psychology. And that's why it kind of worries me when so many people are getting into like Instagram therapy. I'm like, please don't get obsessed with the like limited version of therapy that you see on Instagram. Like it doesn't have all the answers. And in fact, it could be um, making issues worse or more than they need to be or misconstruing things um, when we try to overlay like a really basic uh, version of therapy onto problems, if that makes sense. Lisa Lightrider says, I feel like a loser because I never hug anybody. It's funny because I know a couple of non-huggers and I'm like a major hugger. Like I hug basically everybody. Um, And 
I never, it never occurs to me until they tell me, or like, I guess if they act awkward about it, if they, like yeah. people who don't know how to hug like, and they're sort of like, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a new <laughs> thing for you, huh? Um, people who like aren't into hugs. What is that? Like what, uh, Lisa, why, why don't you like hugs? Or she, maybe, I don't know. She says, I feel like a loser because I never hug anybody. So I guess we don't know. Mm if she's not hugging people because she doesn't like hugging people or she doesn't like hugs or what. You know um, what? I think we do a lot of like assuming that people that are avoidant and like space have something wrong with them, but like maybe they don't. Um, okay. Somebody else says I'm not a hugger. I, my, my friend Holly, who's one of the organizers of the, the Vancouver gender identity Holly. events. She yeah. doesn't like hugging, but I don't ever remember, so I think I probably like hug her anyway. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I like it's the, really... I think the non-huggers are doing are doing better in isolation than the huggers. Yeah, and I think it depends a lot on your um, cultural context and your family mm-hmm. context. So your parents, but that your parents has something to do with your culture. So I feel like it's all intertwined, really. Yeah, I don't know. My parents are major huggers. I mean, it's it's. I turned out very strange considering what my family <laughs> is like. <laughs> Obviously, in a really good way, <laughs> but <laughs> in the best way they, possible. My family are like they're all. They don't socialize at all. They're not mm-hmm. extroverted people at all. They're all pretty hermity. They don't have friends or friend circles. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm yeah, I'm the only one who sort of is like I've always been super social and kind of yeah, extroverted and um and have really again made a big effort to maintain friendships and relationships and my family members have not valued that, which I don't really like to be honest, but I mean, mm. to each their. You're still own kind of close, right? To my family. Yeah. 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 I mean, okay. I my mom lives in the states, still, which sucks because she teaches at an American university, um, mm-hmm. and so she still has to travel back and forth. She comes back in the summer, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, I my mom is great. She's just antisocial. <laughs> and I don't know why because she's not an awkward person like she's an engaging like very kind compassionate like funny person she just doesn't I don't want to talk about my mom my my mom is a private person so I probably shouldn't talk about her okay but that just reminds me of how um we seem to have this thing of like being sociable is 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 somehow better than being unsociable or being introverted but the other thing that I found really interesting is when people get upset by something, as in when people are more sensitive, um, we, t- we feel more like we need to apologize, like we need to be careful, like we need to be caring, where when people are more just withdraw from a situation, we don't really feel like we need to do much about it. And that's kind of interesting to me. Do, would you agree? I'm not here to coddle people. Yeah, but see, you're different. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm joking a bit. Like, obviously, like, I mean, sort of half joking. I just, I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if I notice that kind of thing. Like, if somebody feels, like, withdrawn or uncomfortable, I don't know that I would notice and go out of my way. Because I'm not, I guess, 
I'm not like that, so I don't relate to people yes, in that you way in the same it. way. And I sort of feel like, I don't know, I guess I do kind of feel like people need to take responsibility for themselves. Because it's not, I, I haven't always just been comfortable all the time in every situation. Like, I've always um, hated, we, there's some questions in the comments that we should get to soon. But, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I used to really get really, really, really nervous about public speaking. Even, like, when I was in university, I would get really nervous about giving a presentation or something like that. I didn't always feel comfortable in social situations. Mm-hmm. And I just had to learn to and kind of force myself to and now I just do feel comfortable. So I sort of am a bit like, I feel a bit like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, so somebody, okay, somebody asked the questions. Megan, can you talk about living alone as a single woman in quarantine? Mm, that's a good question. Well, it is a good question. Um, I actually, I mean, I go back and forth. So, mm-hmm. you know, a week or two ago when we were talking about the challenges people were facing in relationships being in quarantine, I was like, wow, I feel so grateful that I don't have to deal with that because that would be difficult being sort of stuck in an apartment with one person all the time. I do really like my alone space a lot. I don't know that I could really handle somebody else being around all the time especially because you know I'm working online and I'm writing and things like that and I need things to be quiet um and I can't be distracted um so in many days I do really like it and I feel grateful but then at the same time I sort of resent people who I'm just being honest I'm not saying this is a good way to feel (laughs) I sort of feel resentful towards people who don't actually know what it's like to be isolated actually like so people who have somebody to hang out with and do stuff with and it's like you can go for bike rides or go for walks or go to the park with that person you don't have to stay two meters away from them and you have somebody to like hug and I'm just like you know like it's it's really hard being alone but you know like I also you know I talked to a friend today who was really struggling with not having alone time because she's got a family and you know, that is really stressful also yes. to never be able to be alone. So it's yeah. sort of like there's good side. and bad things on both ends of it. I mean, yes. I don't, and I was also like, I was in a, I was just, I, I feel really lucky because I was in a really good place before we went into lockdown and I hadn't been for a long time, you know, since August I had been, you know, that was probably like the worst time of my whole life. Like I had, I was, I was depressed. I was sad. Like I was experiencing so much anxiety, like every single day, like, and that's really abnormal for me. So I was just Mm -hmm. like, like I'm not used to feeling anxious um, Mm. for extended periods of time or depressed Mm -hmm. for extended periods time um and it was just months and months and months of me feeling you know sad and stressed out and everything and then I sort of finally came out the other end you know maybe around February or March probably more like near the end of well like now like at the end of February probably like mid-February and then I I don't even know what fucking month it is okay April it's April 9th (laughs) And then, you know, and I got back from traveling, like I was in Mexico for a couple of weeks and I got back and I was just like, I don't even want to go out anymore. Like I've been traveling so much. I've been so busy. Things have been so intense with all the events and the protests and everything and like my personal life. 
And like, it was, I was just like, I am ready to fucking hibernate for a while. I'm mm-hmm. out and done. Like, I want to just focus on my work. And then this happened and it's like, eh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> like, I and I felt so fine people... about being single. Like, I never really not felt yeah, fine about yeah, being single, yeah. but I was just yeah. like, this is fine. I don't feel like desperate at all around dating. I also never really have because I like whatever, like it'll happen. Like I don't really feel worried about that, but I'm also like, eh, like I'm, I'm just like kind of right now, like I'm just like happy to be okay. open and focused. People, on things, so. I think, think that you were upset at the end of last year because of the hate getting directed at you. That's what the comments are saying. Is, oh, is that- well, that was, yeah, I mean, that was really stressful. I mean, that was combined, yeah, like, the Toronto protests were really, really stressful. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and because that happened, there was so much media stuff going on, so I also just didn't have time to do anything, because I was constantly doing media interviews, so I couldn't, mm-hmm. so I couldn't focus on my work, yeah. dealing with all of that stuff, and I felt super, like, isolated and alone, because, you know, I was having an issue with a friend and then I was having my <laughs> You're not even gonna say it. Oh my god. I Break had a broken up. heart. <laughs> you have to subscribe to Patreon to hear about it. Ah, like, you don't want I was to having intense heartache and crying all the time and then yeah. also was being like simultaneously protested by all these people and dealing with <laughs> If you're ever going to hit rock bottom, (laughs) that would be then. I mean, and and like, luckily, I know how to cope with things, so I I can I can handle it. But uh, that's a lot. Yeah, like it was. There was just so much stuff, and I did. It was that I just I didn't have my person there to my support person to go through all of it with, and that was fucking awful. Like actually, even just thinking about it right now, I'm like, like it's just yeah. You know, you can't really do that sort do of that thing. Shit. And I'm like tough. I'm tough. I can I can really take a lot, and it won't get to me. But that okay, so nice. some people don't know what happened around that time. So is there? Oh. Can you briefly explain what what happened and what level of kind of hate campaign has been run against you because of your opinions around or because of the position you take on gender identity legislation? Right. So, I mean, what happened in Toronto, and this has happened in Vancouver also, it was just to a lesser extent. It happened in Seattle also. You know, a lot of events that I have done have been protested. The event that happened in Toronto in October um, that was organized by a radical feminist group of women over there, it was just a small event too. And that, you know, it was a small event because they couldn't find a space to hold the event at. Like they, she, they, I think they approached like 20 different spaces and maybe even more and everybody turned them down. And finally they went to the Toronto public library. Was and, it because of the threats or because of your political views? It was because of what the event was about. So I was going to talk about gender identity and women's rights and they wouldn't, they didn't want to touch that. That's fine. Um, yeah, so they went to the Toronto Public Library and all they could get was a room that fit like 100 people. Um, I'm sure they could have sold three times that many tickets, especially after all of the petitions and protested protests. But so a, a, a ton of people in Toronto, like progressives, and this was started by 
women in in Canlet in the Canadian literature community, which is just the most fucking ironic thing in the world that they were, you know, they started a petition to have the event canceled. They were pressuring the Toronto Public Library to censor, I mean, to censor anybody, but to censor, you know, a woman who is there to speak about women's rights and feminism. And these are writers, like writers of all people who should be defending freedom of expression and free speech and defending the library's mandate to uphold free speech and freedom of expression. And these are the people who started that petition and thousands of people signed it. And the, you know, the, the night of the event, um, there was hundreds and hundreds of protesters outside and they were really scary. And they screamed at the attendees, most of whom were women, you know, they screamed misogynist things at them. They swore at them. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was very intimidating. There were so many cops there. There were so many mm-hmm. cops there. There were cop cars that had blocked off the back roads so that I could come in through the back. I had police escorts. I had bodyguards. Like they like rushed me out. I was supposed to stay and do some media interviews after. And obviously I wanted to talk to the women who'd come to this event and suffered being fucking called a cunt because they wanted to come listen to this talk um and they when the event ended they were like no it's like too dangerous you have to be escorted out so like it was insane so that's what happened to you in addition to the rest of your life falling apart (laughs) in a nutshell (laughs) yeah there's a lot of stuff going on at once I mean, the flip side of that is that traveling makes me feel better and like doing that kind of work makes me feel better because I enjoy Mm. it and I get to meet all these like cool women and get Mm. to have like, you know, like I enjoy doing that. I enjoy doing that work. So it's like Mm. nice to be able to do that when you're struggling with something like that because you're like, oh, there's a whole bigger world. It's not just me. Mm. And I was feeling really triggered by Vancouver at the time. I didn't want to be here at all. I was like fucking hating it so I sort of it was nice to be able to like I, I was gone a lot I was I did that event and then I went and did a couple of events or three events in New Zealand and then there was the event in New York in January and then there was the event in um Seattle in February which somebody just said wasn't that the bomb threat event two event two which no that was Seattle oh, okay. uh, somebody in the comments just said Ben Boyce and Megan dating rumors true <laughs> <laughs> I'm so stoked that we started. I may this, have like, started that rumor. <laughs> this Happy gossip. to keep it going. Are they dating? Yes, probably. Let's no, discuss next week. If we're you start to friends. Patreon, we'll tell you all about it. Um, Apparently, so basically, what you're saying is that you're only just like coming up for air now from all of this like madness. So your perspective on being a single woman during coronavirus is probably not the same as other people who've had as like stable 2019. Maybe, except that I'm really enjoying myself. And I think, I mean, that's the great thing about going through times like that and going through hard times and going through um, heartache and and things like that is that actually, and I, I know this, so I'm able to get through it now, but it, mm-hmm. you, I know that when you come out the other end, you sort of feel like amazing because you've just gone through these really hard times. And when you finally start to feel normal and okay again, it feels so much more than just okay. You know, it mm-hmm. feels really great because you're like, oh my God, like I'm back to myself and I feel good again. And it's just, and I can survive nice that. Relief. And you get excited about your life and excited about doing, I mean, there's so, there's so many great things about being single. Like there's, 
good things about being in relationships, but there's also bad things about being in relationships. Like it can suffocate you in a lot of ways and you have to make compromises and, you know, so you got to take advantage of both ends. Like when you're single, there's all these great things that you can do and you got to make the most of it. And something I wanted to ask about is like, I feel like this has come up for me multiple times when I get into relationships, people are like, Oh, you know, you should really be alone for a while. Like being alone is, is really good for you. And it's like always kind of condescending. Right. Like alone time. And I get shitty about it. Cause I'm, cause my perspective is like, well, you don't know my life story. Like you don't know how much time I've spent alone, how much of, you know, the foundational aspects of my sense of self were built on being alone so to assume that I've never been alone and, and I'm escaping it and I'm just rushing off into being with someone and, I, and I'm distracted, that really annoys me. Do you get that as well? <laughs> that annoys me too. Um, like, because it's like it, people do that to you when you go from a relationship to another relationship right away, which I've done before. They do it to me times. when like, it's been like six months or a year and they're like, mm, like you haven't really been alone. What are you talking about? But irrespective of that break between relationships, like there's been huge periods of my life where I've been fundamentally alone. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, like, well, yeah, people say, like, if you start dating right away, you're like, don't you think you should just be alone for a while? And it's like, no, that's why I'm dating somebody else. If I felt like I needed to be alone for a while, then like I'm not afraid of being fucking alone. Like I've been alone plenty of years in my life and I do just fucking fine. Like yeah. I'm not just like skipping along to another person because I'm desperate. It's just because I happened to meet this person at this time and we mm-hmm. fell in love. Like I can't help it. I can't help Ooh. when I meet somebody else. And so there have been circumstances where I've broken up with somebody and then been with somebody else shortly after, like, you know, like a month or two and, sometimes that's just how it goes and sometimes it's not sometimes I've broken up with people and it's been you know two or three years before I was really in another relationship again and and that's fine too it's like you don't get to you don't get to say what's right for me like just because of what you saw in a movie or like read on the internet like (laughs) you need time to heal it's like well if I do need time to heal then I'm gonna take time to heal but sometimes you don't need time to heal after a relationship sometimes you're just okay and you're ready to move on a lot of times I feel as well, women tend to be, and I'm sure this is backed up by research, but women tend to be more clued on to the relationship being tiered down before, like if this is in uh, heterosexual relationships, before the male partner is because men tend to be a little bit less emotionally available for the relationship. So women start to prepare themselves for their single life while they're still in relationship and they get ready to break up. And I think the stat is something like it's usually like 18 months when couples go to see a couple's therapist, but where after they should have. So it takes a long time for people to really confront the issue. And I think part of that is like women prepare themselves and like do the emotional work and get fed up and they try to raise it and it doesn't get dealt with. And, when they finally give up, they're like, fuck, I'm so done. I feel like I've been single for six months. Right. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? You're breaking up with me? I thought we were perfect. <laughs> like, no, are you kidding me? I've been telling you this is not working. 
Um, okay, so we're an hour in and we haven't talked about Karen yet. And this oh, is our fuck. Karen episode. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to, in like about half an hour or so, we're going to go to do Patreon only live, um, which mm-hmm. we've been doing Patreon only segments after our live streams, but we've been pre-recording and then posting, you know, a couple days later. Um, yeah. And that's sort of where we do more um, <laughs> therapizing, therapizing. <laughs> and talk about more personal stuff and things like that, things that we don't want to talk about, you know, publicly. Yeah, let's talk about Karen. I'm just going to do but, a shot real quick. <laughs> okay. Also, you guys, there's a link down in um down below in the show notes to the Patreon live stream that we're going to go to after that and I hope that people will come because I want people to like ask questions and if you have like any like Q&A stuff for me, I'll answer anything you ask me or if you have like just questions about like politics or if you have like if you want me to offer you some relationship advice because clearly I excel at relationships. <laughs> I'm alone <laughs> under quarantine. Um then come and to sign up as a a patron a patron a patron on Patreon. Yeah, why do they why do like they just five call bucks it a month? Thing. I know it's really hard this to is, say. Those I'm doing a shot of gin. Pray for me. Oh, I hate gin. Um, okay, so Karen, I did a bunch of Karen research today. Okay. And over this past week, because all this Karen, obviously, like I know about the Karen meme. So first of all, so Julie Bindle tweeted um, asking if anyone else thought that the Karen meme was misogynist and classist. And a bunch of people responded and said yes. And then a bunch of other people responded and lectured her and Mm. were, like, condescending and rude and accused her of being a Karen for, you know, saying that... I think she said, like, is it a misogynist, classist slur? Mm -hmm. Um, And they were like, you don't get it. Like, white feminism, no, 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 no. And then a million people went into all these rants about how actually... Karen came from black culture and it's about like this politicized analysis of like white ladies who call the cops on black people. And I was like, no, that's not what it is. That's not what Karen's roots are in. And then I went to look to like double check as to where the Karen meaning came from. And it was not from black culture. That was just, so where did it come from? It's all like a scapegoat. So people can pretend that something sexed isn't sexed. Like obviously it's sex. It's about a specific woman. It's about a middle aged blonde boring kind of lame woman like a suburban woman who likes basic shit um and actually i so i read an article about it at the tab and it says who is karen she's the middle-aged white woman with three kids a mum car demands mm-hmm. to speak to the manager and it has a blonde highlighted bob posts on facebook four times a day she's against vaccinating her kids I don't know what this has to do with the anti-vax movement. Loves cheap wine and her house is covered in live, laugh, love signs. So she's just a kind of lame, like middle class, middle aged, suburban woman. Okay. Um, And it's just a, it's a way to make fun of that kind of woman, which is like, fine, whatever, make Mm -hmm. fun of her. But it's not some big political movement. And actually, and it's sort of, it's part of that like larger trend of those memes you know, that sort of use boring white lady names, you know, like it's like, sure, Jan, um, like there was one, there was this tweet that went viral in 2017 that I feel is connected to this all 
Um, wow, three tattoos, those are pretty permanent, you know. Me, wow, three kids, those are pretty damn permanent. Carol, like it's like Carol, I Susan, Carol. Jen, Brenda, Sharon. Yeah. Did I say Sharon? Like, though, you do know what I mean? Like, it's all yeah. part of the Becky. same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Becky's a, slightly different because I think that actually did come from black culture. Yeah, and, 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 uh, but, and then it, it, it turned into this, like, I want to speak to the manager thing. Mm-hmm. So then in 2017, there was another viral tweet that was like, do you even get babies called Karen or do they just appear one day with three kids and want to speak to the manager? So it, like it is, it is about denigrating women. Like Julie wasn't totally off base, although I don't, I don't think it was a class thing per se. Um, yeah. But like it actually came like when I, when I looked it up online, it, I think it came from white men. So it seems right. like it originated from, this is from Know Your Meme. It's thought to have originated from a Reddit thread where a guy was complaining about his ex-wife called Karen who took his kids away. A Reddit user then created a thread called Fuck You Karen based, this is on, on Reddit and I looked through that also, based on another guy's account and everyone started creating memes from that. So originally all the memes were about a Karen who took custody of your kids. So that's where it came from. And then it turned into this like bitchy entitled lady who complains to the manager about things. Um, But I mean, essentially it wasn't the amount of tweets that these long threads talking about how it's some like racial analysis from like black people in terms of like terrible racist white ladies who complain about black people working in the service industry or and things like that like it's just not true that that's where it came from in any case i'm not saying that people like that don't exist what i'm saying is that they were trying to gaslight julie Mm -hmm. she asked a question about misogyny and said is this sexist and it's like yeah it's Mm -hmm. kind of sexist i mean it doesn't really bug me that much it's just a meme like it's can be yeah yeah Um, but it's like you're turning this into a race thing because the thing nowadays is that sexism doesn't exist. Sex doesn't exist. Sex doesn't matter. There's other oppression issues. There's other identity issues that matter more. And today, primarily that's trans and race. Right. One thing that was really interesting for me is that um, on the one hand, like you can acknowledge that as far as meme culture goes, sexism is, is, um, prevalent in so much of meme culture like so many memes that do well do well on the basis of sexism um so like we can know that but at the same time I also wonder if being sensitive to um criticism like the Karen criticism and it kind of plays into like you said on Twitter they started talking about black criticisms of white women who are entitled so it kind of plays into that white fragility argument um but it also makes me think is this not participating in some kind of cancel culture where it doesn't feel safe for us so we don't want to um we don't want to hear criticisms that 
might in some way trigger us because we want it to be a safe space. Like we don't want to hear about the white entitled middle-class woman because there might be aspects of us that relate to that. And so for me, like if I'm going to say um, the pronoun thing is ridiculous, the safe space thing is ridiculous, part of being an adult is having the resilience and the psychological strength to deal with real world, um, does that also mean dealing with the real world implications of like young guys on the internet making memes about Karens because they're sexist and we live well, in a that it, predominantly sexist. Yeah. I mean, then it, that knowing the root of the meme, it makes it even more obvious that it is a sex. I mean, it's obviously a sexist meme because it's about mm-hmm. a woman. Um, and you know, it, it's happening within this context of middle-aged women being, erased and not taken seriously um and denigrated and mocked and you know this idea of the uppity woman um Mm -hmm. also is is a pain in the ass she's annoying um you know she has to speak to the manager because she's entitled like all of that kind of stuff that's sort of Mm -hmm. forcing women back into the box of passivity and silence and not asking for what they want. And, you know, of course there's fucking irritating middle-class like white lady, like these, this is not the kind of lady that I'm into necessarily, but Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, and I've met a ton of like yuppie women around my area who just fucking showed up and moved here from like the suburbs and all of a sudden act like they're fucking entitled to everything and are monitoring what all the poor looking people are doing. You know what I mean? Like it's not untrue that that, that doesn't exist, Ooh. but um, it also, I, I do think that there's, there's sexism in there for sure. And no, nobody wants to talk about sexism anymore. Um, it's just not the hot topic. So I was wondering why uh, Karen would be a thing, but the male equivalent wouldn't, be as uh, widespread like why wouldn't the whatever the name there's a name for it right the male version of Karen like a Ken? I don't know there's no Chad. no there's a Chad but that's not the male version of Karen that's like He's the PC. male version Chads yeah. are like the guys that incels are mad at I mean they're kind of okay. douchey fratty dudes okay so, so they're not, I, was, I don't think that they're disrespected. I mean, there's lots of mockery around Chad's, but I don't think that they're seen as powerless at all. And this woman is like, eh, like, shut up, Karen. Like, you're so annoying and out of touch. So what I was wondering is if the male version, because... Oh, Stacy, not- Chad and Stacy. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ch- Stacy is the cheerleader and Chad's like the fratty, yeah, maybe cool. the football player guy. Yeah. And they're both stupid, but they're attractive and jockey. So the thing that I was wondering about the like male equivalent of a Karen figure is if you had a middle-aged male who uh, is, is probably white and probably entitled and probably gets a lot of attitude with service workers, um, my assumption would be that if he blows up, he's probably going to be more aggressive. And so maybe that's less funny because I know like from friends that work in the service industry and stuff, 
middle-aged women that blow up, it's kind of funny because they get snarky and they get like, I want to talk to the manager and I'm going to leave you a bad review and I'm going to yelp where men get aggressive and like violent and that's not funny. So it just kind of made me wonder, is that why there's no male equivalent? Because the male version of the Karen is actually not funny at all. You know what I mean? Like male violence isn't funny. So, I mean, we do have like the wife beater, the wife beater archetype. We, we mock people like that, but it just seems like in meme culture, it's not as prevalent. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the difference is, the primary difference is that if it were a man, he would be intimidating. And Karen yeah. isn't intimidating. She's a joke. I mean, yeah. the joke is that she doesn't have any power and that we yeah. should um, sneer at her and mock her and make fun yeah. of her. Whereas that man is already authoritative and already in a position of power and is intimidating. And mm-hmm. men are already, you know, assertive and feel entitled to do those kinds of things. So. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, not to say that people don't, you know, make fun of those kinds of men or talk shit about them, but I think it's more that maybe it's expected and mm-hmm. normalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one more thing that I wanted to say about Karen. So Pink News, of course, covered this, like, eagerly. Well, they were like, Julie Bindle said something, and well, they were just using it as an excuse to shit on Julie Bindle because they hate Julie they Bindle. Yeah, because she's a woman and a lesbian, a lesbian and an actual feminist. Yeah, and she's critical of the gender identity shit, right? So, um, yeah. So they wrote this whole ridiculous piece and totally were like, actually, Julie Bindle, this is a race thing. I'm sure it was written by like a white <laughs> man. You know what I mean? It's like we educate yourself, like this white feminism, na 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 na. But one of the like main people that they quoted and they used as proof that Karen wasn't sexist and like wasn't offensive, what they said was that they're like we talked to an actual woman named Karen, and Karen said that it was fine and unoffensive. Um, and <laughs> the the Karen that they talked to, hang on, I'm just gonna actually find the the quote here. Um, so this Karen, this Karen woman tweeted, as a Karen, I can officially set the record straight. Karen is not a slur. And if you don't agree, I need to speak to your manager, which is like not a funny tweet by any stretch of the imagination, but had gone viral and was retweeted a million times. And it was because of course, this Karen person is a man, A middle-class white man. I cannot deal with these people. Are you fucking kidding me? They have. I mean, it's just like, it's like the best thing in the world. It's the worst thing in the mm. world. But it's fucking hilarious that while they're gonna go after Julie Bindle and like go after these Karens because they're middle-class white ladies and they have all this privilege and they're entitled. And as evidence, they're going to go talk to a middle-class white man. That's the same fucking thing when they go and ask trans women, do you find catcalling offensive? And for some reason... No, I love it. Oh, I love it when people fucking catcall me and sexually harass me. No, we don't. When you grow up... Makes me feel more like a woman. Yeah. That's what, no, fuck that. See, that's the the quotes. We live in different worlds. We live in different worlds. Yeah. The quotes that they include in the Pink News article from Karen say, I love the memes. They make me laugh. 
Those PTA soccer moms slash Karens can be so toxic. Oh, God, it's making me want to vomit. Pollock added that using Karen in this way is not about an individual called Karen, but about an attitude lacking in empathy, which reeks of entitlement. Keeping in mind who this is coming from. As for the (laughs) beginning of the meme, they said... As far as I know, I guess this maybe this person doesn't use pronouns, this Karen Pollock person. As far as I know, its origins are African-American vernacular, and it refers to white women who use privilege over service workers who are often women of color. It means a privileged middle-class white woman who talks over, won't listen to others, and lacks empathy with those outside your social circle. This coming from a man who advocated to change Mother's Day to Mothering Sunday because Mother's Day was exclusive. Amazing. Oh, my God. So mother is an offensive word, but if you mock those dumb bitches called Karen, it's all fucking good because and talk I'm about entitlement. Do you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me so much of, like, I'm not like the other girls. I'm cooler than those bitches. Let that's the attitude that is not a girl. It's not a not a girl at all. But it's the same thing of like I'm cooler. Like I'm trying to get in with the guys, so I'm gonna act like I'm cooler than the other girls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a dude, so it's easy for you to say that. You probably don't feel the effects of sexism the same way women do. Probably not, because surprise, (laughs) just putting on makeup doesn't mean that you understand what it's like to have lived as a woman for your entire life. You have a dick. Okay. (laughs) Okay, are we done? Should we get going? We're being inappropriate. We need to go to Patreon. Yeah, this is about the time when we start to act like idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Like bigger idiots. The idiocy grows... Your YouTube channel is getting taken down. words, we start forgetting things mid-sentence. Okay, so, (laughs) yeah, so we're just switching over to Patreon. Um, We're going to be live on Patreon, and I hope that you guys will come and ask us more questions. We're going to continue this conversation. We're going to do some sort of, like, advice kind of stuff. Um, We're going to talk about some, like, more personal relationship struggle stuff, I think. I mean, we both, I, I, I personally constantly have problems that I need advice I have one so generally what happens is Laura gives me like free therapy so that's always good but if you guys have any other questions um you want to ask myself or Laura please join so just sign up it's like five bucks a month and you know that's I'm grateful because it supports my work and this is my work I don't (laughs) work for any kind of like organization or institution i don't have like secret funding from the heritage foundation (laughs) shocker and also like we we do put up special content on patreon that doesn't go public and we put episodes of the show up early of the podcast um by the way you guys this is the same drugs with megan murphy tuning in see you later i like never remember to introduce the show okay we'll see you guys all on patreon is there anything else we need to say i always forget stuff we're doing these live streams every thursday night as long as this whole social distancing thing goes on because we want you guys to have something to do on thursday night and we well it's friday for laura for me it's thursday night for laura it's 
Friday right. afternoon. Friday I'm night. happy for people to tell me. Oh, like, that's why you're getting so wasted. <laughs> yeah. What do you want me to drink? Like, what should I, I'm, I'm happy to take suggestions. I'm going to, whatever. <laughs> Good sell. Okay. We'll see you guys in a bit. We're logging off now. Thank you for tuning okay. in. And we'll see you next week on Thursday night also. Awesome. Bye. Bye.